Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good. It was John Wesley who said, I weigh everything, measure everything based on what it will yield in eternity. I feel like when I read the New Testament that Jesus, especially the writers of the New Testament, had more of a laser focus on eternity than we do. In, in our dealings with the Lord, very often our focus is not, it's not wrong. We want God to touch us. We want God to show His presence. That's beautiful. We want God to heal our hearts. We want God to fix our wounds and fix our marriages and our families. It's not wrong at all. But there are things that are more important, and those are the eternal things that are going to literally last forever and ever. And the Word of God is at the center of the eternal things that God is doing. It really is. Um, I have been concerned. I know people sometimes think I get a little bit intense. Um, That's true. I do. But it's not put on. It's real. I'm concerned and I grieve sometimes. I really grieve sometimes over things that I see. I'm not throwing down. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not calling names. I'm just, there's a general atmosphere in the church in the West where the focus is on temporal things, and church is about making people feel good and be happy when they come, and not as much on their eternal state. Whereas Paul was My goal with you, Corinthians, is I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. My ministry is all about making sure that you are walking in a way that when I present you to Christ on that day when he comes, you will be a chaste virgin for him. That matters. I feel like a lot of times we think that the only thing that's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ or at the second coming of Jesus is that People are going to be judged based on whether they're saved or whether they're not saved, and that's just simply not biblical. Every believer, you and I, we are going to stand before Jesus and give account for our life and what we did and how we stewarded the grace that He's given to us. We, We really are. All of us, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, will stand before the tribunal, the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our lives. That's whether we're saved or not. It's not an issue of whether we're going to give account and then we're going to be lost if we didn't do well, but there's going to be eternal repercussions for how we conduct our life before the Lord. Eternal repercussions. We're not all going to be the same. We're not all going to receive the same crown. We're not all going to receive the same rewards. Everyone's going to receive the reward that they deserve. The Bible says it over and over and over again. And we don't think like this, but it's real. As believers, I'm going to give account for my life, for the stewardship that I have, for the things that He's given to me, for the money He's given me, for the wife He's given me, for the children He's given me, for the influence He's given to me, for the grace that's on my life that He's given me, for all of those things, I'm going to give account to Him, and that's only right And it's not going to mean the difference between me losing my soul because my soul is secure in Jesus and I'm rooted in Him and my trust is in Him for my eternal salvation. But it's going to make a difference on eternal, my eternal rewards. So it matters hugely. It doesn't matter that much if I lose my house here, but it matters if I lose my rewards there. I know, I'm a little intense. This is real, though. Can I, I I just felt, I mean, leading into this, like we're going to go through some of these smaller chapters, six, seven, eight, nine. Next week, there's a whole 
night for chapter 11. There's a whole night for chapter 12, okay, in here. So we're going to go through these smaller ones. But I want to read you this because this has been impressed on me recently. I've just been pondering standing before the Lord in eternity and what that's going to be like. You're like, oh, we're all going to receive the crown of life. We're all going to receive the... No, no, no. We're not all going to receive the same thing. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. Sorry, this isn't in your book. This is add-on. Which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man... He's talking to believers now. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. So, I know we we love in charismatic circles, and and I like it too. We we like to talk about fire, and by that we mean the exciting, exhilarating, powerful presence of God. But most of the time, the Bible talks about fire. It talks about purging and judgment. Sorry, I know that wouldn't get an amen. Amen. It's true. Chase the references, and you'll find that that is exactly right. It's going to be tried by fire. Um, Verse 13 again, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So he's talking to believers. Would you agree with me there? He's talking. But as a believer, our works are going to go through the test of fire. Would you agree that that's what Paul just said? And he's going to test the quality of our work. So he's going to test whether that thing was done for him or for us. Like all of these things are going to come out. Here's the beauty and the power of the Word of God. It deals with all of these things, with what we're building, with the quality of the work that we're building in our lives. And so this is hugely important. This is not just an option. You don't just say, oh, well, brother, you're just passionate about the Word. So that's a, I, No, I am. But there's reasons for it because eternity is in the balance for us. And when it says suffer loss, what do you think it means? As a believer, at the judgment seat of Christ, with those things in our lives that we're coming to present, the fruit of our lives, are passed through the fire, and there's some that are burned up. He's going to be saved, but he's going to suffer loss. What do you think the the loss is? Going to lose reward. But the rewards in heaven last forever. This is super sobering. It's not just like, oh, here's, here's a gift card to Chick-fil-A. It's no. There's eternal reward. And the truth is we can forfeit eternal rewards if we don't partner with the Lord. And His Word is at the heart of this. I want to just show you, if you're on, I'm on page 18. This is number 6. You cannot separate Jesus from what He says. And here's the foundational principle. You cannot separate Jesus from what he says and still have the real Jesus. We talked about that. There's a lot of not real Jesus that's being preached out there. Okay, again, I'm not throwing down, not pointing fingers, I'm not calling names. I'm just saying that's a real thing. If you look on um, social media, you know that's a fact. Everyone will finally be judged by the things Jesus said. This is really sobering. Let's just look at the second verse that I've got here. John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, that is the same thing. Rejecting Jesus' sayings is rejecting him. His words are him. They represent him. He has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. That is very, very sobering. I feel a burden in my heart. I feel grief a lot of times at what happens in um, churches in the West, especially. Again, look, I, I love the body of Christ. I'm not throwing down on the body of Christ. I'm not a church hater, okay? I'm not a church hurt person who's a church hater at all. 
I want to lay down my life for the body of Christ that she will be mature and that she will be presented as a chaste virgin before the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is eternally weighty. I want to read you this quote. I don't usually read quotes this long, but this one is powerful and it has marked me, and I hope that it marks you as well. Thinking about, if probably not that many of you in this room have read church growth books. I have. I'll try to say this without being too edgy. Um, they all suck. Um, <laughs> Was that too edgy? I'm sorry. Um, all right, let me, let me read you this quote from, from John Piper. I, I hope you, you hear this. It's so true. God did not ordain the cross of Christ or create the lake of fire in order to communicate the insignificance of belittling His glory. The death of the Son of God and the damnation of the unrepentant human beings are the loudest shouts under heaven that God is infinitely holy, and sin is infinitely offensive, and wrath is infinitely just, and grace is infinitely precious. And our brief life and the life of every person in your church and in your community leads to everlasting joy or everlasting suffering. If our preaching does not carry the weight of these things to our people, what will? Veggie tales? Radio, television, discussion groups, emergent conversations. God planned for His Son to be crucified and for hell to be terrible so that we would have the clearest witnesses possible to what is at stake when we preach. It says exactly what He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Preach the Word in light of the coming of Christ, in light of the presence and power of God, in light of the final judgment, preach the word because it carries eternity in it and the consequences of responding to it or not have eternal lasting consequences. What gives preaching its seriousness is that the mantle of the preacher is soaked with the blood of Jesus and singed with the fire of hell. That's the mantle that turns mere talkers into preachers. Oh, that the rising generations would see that the world is not overrun with a sense of the seriousness about God. There is no surplus in the church of a sense of God's glory. There is no excess of earnestness in the church about heaven and hell and sin and salvation. And therefore, the joy of many Christians is paper thin. Can I tell you those things are connected we cannot grasp and understand the love and the grace of God, and I have observed this over decades in ministry. People struggle to connect with the love of God and with His grace, and the reason is because whoever's forgiven much loves much, and if you don't see the depth of sin of being in rebellion against God, and I don't want to be too graphic here, but the way the Bible presents and portrays sin is basically like giving God the finger every day of your life and say, I don't care about you. You mean nothing to me. That's at the heart of in the essence of what sin is. And it's not okay to the God who is glorious and created everything for His glory and for Himself, for His creatures who were made to image His greatness to do that to Him. That's not okay. I know you don't see yourself as doing that. I personally do see myself as doing that. That's, who, that's the way I live my life. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons, just for me personally, I'm just observing that I have never struggled in my Christian life to believe that God loved me and that His grace was absolutely, astoundingly undeserved in my life. I don't deserve anything. I, don't, I deserve nothing from God. But His grace is lavish. It should blow our mind. And if His grace and love don't blow our mind, it's because we don't see the depth of what we were and how we lived we flatter ourselves. This is Psalm 36 too. The wicked flatters himself so much in his own eyes that he cannot see or hate his sin. Y'all doing okay? Therefore, the joy of many Christians is paper thin. By the millions, people are amusing themselves to death 
with DVDs and 107-inch TV screens and games on their cell phones and slapstick worship while the spokesman of a massive world religion writes letters to the West and major publications saying, the first thing we're calling you to is Islam. It is the religion of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil with the hand, tongue, and heart. It's the religion of jihad in the way of Allah so that Allah's word and religion reign supreme. He's quoting out of a newspaper article that is giving a series of articles to an imam to put forth their philosophy of Islam. And then these spokesmen publicly bless suicide bombers who blow up children in front of falafel shops and call it the way to paradise. This is the world in which we preach. Listen. And yet incomprehensibly, in this Christ-diminishing, soul-destroying age, books and seminars and divinity schools and church growth specialists are bent on saying to young pastors, this is true. Lighten up. Get funny. Do something amusing. To this I ask, where it's the spirit of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Would the church growth counsel to Jesus be... Lighten up, Jesus. Do something amusing. And to the young pastor, whatever you do, young pastor, don't be like the Jesus of the Gospels. Lighten up. From my perspective, which feels very close to eternity these days, that message to young pastors sounds increasingly insane. I agree. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Weight of Glory. You should read it. It's not long. It's a sermon that he preached. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, Mary, snub, and exploit. The dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. The glory. When, when Jesus comes again, we're going to be partakers of His glory. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. Eternity is real, and the Word of God is all important. It's going to be the basis upon which unbelievers are judged, and it's going to be the basis upon which all of our stuff is put into the fire to see if it actually has the right character or not. You know, here's the thing. I've been thinking about this, too, a lot lately. What's that going to be like? What, what is going to be all important at the judgment? And Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when he's, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 4, rather, when he's defending his apostleship, he said, look, Y'all, I'm not conscious of anything that's against me now, but, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Wait until that day, and then the Lord is going to judge the motives and the intents of the heart. So the why of what we do is just as, if not more important, than the what of what we do. But we can't see that. We can only see the what. And so we look in the mirror and go, what's the what? But God's looking at our heart and asking What's the why? The motivations. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Was it for me to get noticed? All of these things are going to be in play. And you go, oh my goodness, brother, why are you putting us under condemnation like this? I'm not putting us under condemnation. I'm telling us what's going to happen according to the Bible. 
Here's the beautiful thing. We can address those very issues in our life now through the word of God because that's the means that God gave us to purge by the spirit of God. We're not doing it by our own bootstraps. We're not gonna get credit for it like we did the work, but we have to partner. He's giving us the medicine to take. He says, take this medicine. Most sin in your life now as a believer, if you've been walking with Jesus very long, most sin in your life is going to be killed by taking medicine. It's not by a bullet. We want to go to the altar and get a bullet. Oh, kill that sin. I'll never do that again. It happens. It happens. I've seen drug addicts delivered like that. I've seen people get delivered like that of swearing. I was. I've seen people get delivered from alcoholism. I've seen people get delivered from sexual sin. But most of the sin that's in our lives, you have to kill it by medicine. And th- this is the medicine that kills it. It's, it's, it's a process of partnering with God's Word. This is sanctification, right? And this is what we're going to come up to here in, in number eight. But let's look at page seven here. These, again, are shorter. And, and I'm just giving kind of abbreviated um, little synopsis of, of these because I just don't, don't have enough time to go into all detail. All, each one of these could be, could be a whole session, for sure. So number seven, it's on page 19, the foundational principle. The Word of God is like train tracks. It keeps us from making a train wreck of our faith and leads us to our ultimate destination. Here, l- look at this verse in 2 John 9. These, these verses, are, they're just weighted with eternity in our connection to the Word of God. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ... He's not in error. He doesn't have God. Does your Bible say that? Does your Bible say that? Anyone does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. It's false. It's not real. Why? Because Jesus and His Word are one. There's so much eternity in this Word. This is not about getting excited. It's not about necessarily fixing our stuff in this life, although that's awesome. Jesus has fixed a lot of my stuff. I'm super grateful. But when I stand before him on that day, he's going to say, hey, um, I said in my word, let not many of you become teachers because you're going to incur a stricter judgment. So turn the fire up. What you've been teaching? Let's go back through that and see if you've been accurately representing me or not. Have you been telling the truth or not? Have you been watering it down because you were afraid of what people thought or not? I'm very conscious. I'm going to give account for what I teach and preach. I'm going to give account to Jesus. He's going to require it of me. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm happy with that. Not because I'm perfect, but because I'm working. I'm taking the medicine every day. Give it to me. I need the medicine. I want all the impurities of my motives. Am I doing this to be seen of men? Am I doing this because this is the popular thing? Am I doing this because I'm getting a following? Which is really hard when you don't have any social media. Praise God, I don't. I really don't care. Well, but why? He's going to put, the why is going to come out. Here's the thing. When we stand before perfect light, everything becomes visible. Everything. There is no hiding anything, and that's, that's beautiful. Here's the glory of it. This word reveals. It reveals. You, have you read Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 lately? The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It penetrates to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It sees right into you and sees why you did that. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why did you give that money because everybody was watching you? Just saying. It cuts right down to the motive and I want it to do that. I want it in my life to do that, I encourage you, I plead with you, I beg you to take the medicine and let it do its work. It penetrates. And then he says, for everything is open and laid bare with him who we have to do, right? This is verse 13 of Hebrews 4. So that follows right after the word of God is 
piercing and penetrating. God sees everything, and He probes those things in our life through His Word. This is so beautiful. We can actually have our motives. All, all of a man's ways are clean in his own eyes, right? Proverbs 16, 2. But the Lord weighs the motives. What's the why? What's the why in that? Did you do that for me, for my glory? Or did you do that for you and for your glory? It's a fair question. And the beauty of the Word of God is that we can get before it and it's piercing light that shines on all of the stuff inside of us. And we can get pure. Here's the thing. You can do most of the work now for what's going to happen when you stand before Jesus instead of just going haphazard through life. You can let the Word of God search you and purify even your motives, all of those things that are hidden that nobody else sees. Like, I don't see. Sometimes the Lord gives leaders, like Peter, a glimpse inside the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. Can you see why what they did was good? but why they did it was very bad. And the Lord said, no, I desire truth. Where? Not not necessarily in your doctrine. I desire truth in the innermost being. I want to see truth in the core of who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it. This is the power and the beauty of the Word. This is why Jesus said, when he's praying in John 17, right before he's going to the cross. Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This is the sanctifying agent. This is the medicine that we take. This is the thing that can cleanse our heart and our motives. How many have ever caught yourself justifying all kinds of junk in your mind? Oh, yeah. I did that because, and you, you, you even tell other people, this is what I did, and you justify yourself, and you get defensive of somebody if they would dare to question your motive. What in the world? Perfectly pure little old me. And the Lord's shining with his word. He's going, you're lying. You're lying right now. You're lying. And, you, and the Holy Spirit inside's going, shut up, you're lying. And then we can say, Lord, take your, Lord, take your word. Purge me down to the depths of my soul. I love David in Psalm 51. Wash me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Scrub me down inside because my heart hasn't been right before you. You desire a pure heart and a steadfast spirit, and you want truth in the innermost parts. I've told you the story before in my business where I lost half of my business in one day. It was a bad day. I had a house under construction. And the Lord in His mercy gave me a good butt whipping. I lied on a bid that I made. I didn't think I lied. I rationalized it to myself. I didn't really lie. That wasn't really a lie. That wasn't a lie. The Lord said, that was a lie. I said, Lord, that really wasn't a lie. I just, He's like, no. It was. And they called me on it. And that company was half of my business. I didn't feel good. I felt really bad. I felt ashamed. I felt stupid. I felt really chastened by the Lord. But the Lord gave me grace to repent. I repented and owned it. I said, Lord, I'm in your hands. Whatever you Whatever you do with this is up to you. You've been good to me. I don't deserve anything. I'm, I'm just so thankful you revealed Jesus in my heart. But if I lose everything, I can't lose the things that are valuable because I've got you. And then he, in his loving way, in his purging process, he gave me Proverbs 19.22, which says, 
It's better be a poor man than a liar. I said, praise God, I got the better deal. I got the better deal. I'm not going to be a liar. Because that bleeds over. Like when we trade truth for something else, like money in that case, or potential for money, we're actually degrading and losing part of our soul. And here's the thing. How dumb is it? Because when we stand before Jesus, the first thing we're going to see is, oh, dang, I thought that was hidden. Everything's going to be shown. It's going to go into the fire and gone. If we're people that are weighing everything based on the price that they get in eternity, then we're going to love His Word because this is how we're sanctified. This is what keeps us safe. 1 Timothy 4.16 on here, pay close attention. Paul's saying to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself. That means your life. And to your teaching. Persevere in these things. I take courage because of the way that Paul encourages Timothy and Titus to persevere in teaching sound doctrine. Because sometimes it feels hard. Sometimes it feels like, I say to the Lord all the time, can you please just give me a happy message? I really just want to preach a happy message where everybody feels good. I really do. He's like, here's what I want you to go with. I'm like, for real? Every once in a while, he gives me something that like, feels really encouraging, and I'm so happy. And I'm not saying that's all that's in there. I, I'm the herald. I have message from the king, and I have to speak it. We have no right as the church of Jesus Christ or as those who are proclaiming his word to alter what he said or to choose only the message that we're going to talk about. We have to be faithful. And he said... The time's going to come when they won't endure sound teaching. They won't endure it. Why do you have to endure it? Because sometimes it's stinking hard. And it doesn't feel good. But you have to endure it because it's healthy. And that's what the word sound means in sound teaching, sound doctrine. The word is actually healthy. He said, I want you to make my people healthy. Speak sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? It's a doctrine. It's a teaching. It's the truth that conforms our life into the image of Jesus so that when we stand before him on that day and the fire gets applied to everything that happened in our life, everything that we produced, the majority of it will actually make it through the fire. And we're going to be rewarded according to to what we did. The Bible says that over and over again about Christians. It's not a works-based religion. We're not earning it. All the good works that have been produced through our life have come because of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that worked in us. But here's what I'm saying. This is how He works. This is the chariot that the Holy Spirit rides to do the work in us so that the fruit, when it comes forth, is pure and is not tainted. I read this verse on Sunday, Revelation 2, 23. All the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Sobering, but here's the great thing. We're all sitting in this room. We're alive. We have time. And every day, we can take this Word and apply it to our life. Let it be the mirror that reflects truth. Let it be the medicine that makes us well. Let it be the tonic that cures us of the darkness that's in us, the light. Keep us on track. Pay attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. What? I thought Timothy was already saved. He was. Paul said, if you get off the train tracks, though, if you you get off with your teaching, if you start teaching stuff 
in order to draw people to yourself. Do, do you know what the, the two characteristics of a wolf is in, in the Scripture? The wolf that comes and devours the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said that they teach strange doctrine in order to draw people to themselves. So whenever there's that drawing to yourself and they're taking the Scripture and coming up with the most bizarre things, but that sounds super exciting, that's the definition of a wolf in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Paul did. All right. Let's flip over to number eight. That's page 20. The foundational principle is the Scriptures are the Holy Spirit's powerful tool to transform our life and character into Christ's image. Let's read some of these verses. They're so powerful. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And I love this one. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this purpose we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is. What is it really? It is the word of God which also performs its present tense Verb. It performs its word. It is performing its word in you who believe. The word of God, when we believe it, when we take it into ourselves, is always working and producing the fruit. Look at the paragraph on page uh, 21 at the top. The word of God is filled with God's own life and power, it's always working wherever it is believed and embraced. It alone can penetrate the innermost parts of us and straighten out the crookedness that's hidden in the secret places of the heart. This is the process of sanctification. See, here's our problem as believers. We want the outward to be sanctified so that we're not ashamed when people look at our life. Oh, praise God, you stopped fornicating. That's awesome. That's beautiful. But there's still things inside the Lord wants to go after Fine. Are you all like me? You, you know there's things inside of you that are still crooked, right? Right? There really are. There's things in our soul. There's things from our upbringing. There's things from the way that we were warped or damaged in our upbringing. All of that stuff that still remain there, and our responses are not godly, right? So we respond in angry ways. We respond in hurtful ways. We say things we shouldn't say, right? And Jesus said, have you ever pondered this verse where he said, every worthless word that you say, you're going to give account for it in the judgment. Do. Matthew 12, 37. Every empty word, every word that doesn't have any upbuilding, grace-giving purpose, you give account for that word. Wow. Y'all, I'm not trying to throw down. We're, we're, we're going to give account. We're going to enjoy Jesus. We're going to love Him throughout eternity. But there's going to be different levels of reward based on how we process. And if we're careless in the way that we process and take the thing that God has given to us that will actually shape and change us down to the core of who we are, even changing our motives and our want-tos. This is the most beautiful thing to me about the Bible is that it actually changes and transforms our desires. It makes us want to do things in the way that glorifies God. It actually makes it a higher value for us for God to be glorified than for us to be noticed. Dude, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. God's Word does miracles in us. That's why we need it. This is not just for preachers and theologians and Bible college students. This is God's tool to sanctify His people and to make them into the image of Jesus Christ. All the crookedness that's in us, it can straighten those crooked things out. I've been at it for a little while, 47 years. But I'm only 48. No, I've been, I've been at it for a while. I've been at it for a while. And I've seen a lot of crooked things. This is to the glory of God and to my own joy. 
I've seen a lot of crooked things inside of me, attitudes and different things that have been straightened out. I'm like, Lord, you are the master. You can take a pretzel and go, watch this. Like, how did you do that? It's a miracle. This is, this is the tool. This word breathed on by the Holy Spirit and inhaled by us changes our life and changes our eternity. That, that really is the only thing that we need to know to move forward and go, I need more of the word in my life. This is so powerful and amazing. Sin is usually killed in us by a long-term application of God's medicine rather than a bullet. I said that before. I think that's true. So let's just take one example. Since I called myself out as a liar already, um, I don't think I'm a liar now. That's not what I do now. But I'm, I'm definitely more sensitized to it. When I lost a ton of money, I definitely became much more sensitive to lying and much more careful about how I said things. Exaggeration? Spin. Here's, here's a great definition of lying I got from Charles G. Finney. Charles Finney is amazing in the second great awakening in this country, if you don't know his story. He was a lawyer, and he preached the Bible. If you think I'm edgy, I'm a I'm puffball compared to Charles Finney. Um, but he preached, and there was such conviction that came with this word that sinners would cry out, and sometimes stay in grieving for days on end. And he'd be like, oh, they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. Like, they're wailing. He'd get called in the middle of the night. Please come over, my husband. I think he's going to die. He's grieving so much over his sin. And, you know, hell's too good for me. That was kind of crying out. Like, we don't see that stuff today. But here's, here's the fruit. Okay, here's the fruit. In Finney's revivals, what percentage of the converts do you think remain True to God over a 10-year period. Like where they went back and checked on. 85, 85%. In Billy Graham's crusades, what percentage of those who made a decision stayed true after three years? No, it was more than that. It was 20-ish. In today's stadium crusades... What percentage of the converts remain true and still say they're following Jesus after one year? Is there a difference? It's a massive difference. What is the difference? I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm just saying... The way Finney presented it, there was such a thorough dealing of you know what you're doing here. Like, you're, you're not just saying a prayer and writing your name on a card. You're giving your whole life to Jesus, and everything in you has got to start the process right now of getting the medicine. Take the medicine. This is going to change you, and everything about you needs to be shaped and changed by the Word of God. That was Finney's process and there's nothing like it in the history that I know of, of revival or the church. You can have a lots of activity. You can have lots of noise and lots of excitement. But the fruit, Jesus said, I've called you to bear fruit and that your fruit, what? Remain. This word will produce lasting fruit inside of your life. It will. Absolutely. So, if I have an issue with lying or exaggerating, why is it that charismatic Christians exaggerate so much? No, it irritates me. Hey, babe. Of? of oh, thank you. So I got off on Finney. Finney's definition of lying is this. Anything spoken with the intent to deceive. So if you say something that technically is true, 
but you're intending for them to believe something that's not true, you lied. You're leading them to believe something that's not true. You didn't technically say something that was, quote, false or provable false in court, but your heart, this is what God sees. The heart was, I want them to believe something other than what the truth is. This happens all the time, all of the time. And it's the bent of human nature for self-justification and self-glorification, all of those kinds of things. So whatever we say with the intent to make somebody believe something that's not true, that's a lie. So if we're exaggerating to get it, make a point, like it's, you go, oh, you're just religious, brother. No, I'm just conscious of everything going through the fire. That's not religious. That's just being a realist. Everything in my life is going to go through the fire, and I'm okay for that. It's right, and it's just, and the rewards that I end up getting or that you get are going to be perfectly just and right, and we're going to be happy with Jesus for the rest of eternity. We are. We're not going to sit there and grieve. He's going to wipe away all tears, but why is he wiping away all tears from his people? Because there was some shed. When the whole house went up in fire, you're like, what the heck? I had this massive pile, and now I got this? Just saying. We should think about these things more as believers. I know we feel like this is legalism, this is beat down. It's not. It's none of that. It's Bible. It's Bible. So if I'm lying, somebody throw me out some medicine. What medicine would I, would I take if I'm issues with lying and exaggerating? All right, give me, give me verses. Say that again. Oh, right. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to the hearers. Okay. Kind of, kind of. But give me something more direct. How about Proverbs 12, 22? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal faithfully are His delight. Okay, I need my interpreter here because my hearing aids are not good. Uh, sorry, Tim. Say it again. Okay. Okay, there you go. What, what verse is it? Okay, Proverbs 21, 6. All right, what about this one? John eight forty four. You're of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of liars. I know the devil is not your father if you're born again. But when we lie, we're taking on his nature and acting like him. So I, here's what I do because I'm old school, and I don't know how to use an iPad. Um, I take three-by-five cards, and I write verses on it, and I'll have a stack of them like that. And if I see areas of crookedness in my life, I take those out, and I take it as medicine. And I'll lay on the floor, and I'll hold them up to the Lord, and I'll pray those verses. I'll say, Lord, the devil is not my father. You are. You are the God of truth. Let truth only come out of my mouth and out of my heart. I do not want to partner with the enemy of my soul anymore by lying, exaggerating, or misrepresenting the truth. Even if it makes me look stupid and like a fool, I want to speak what's true and honest before you. How about Revelation 21.8? We had a little Bible study with our kids one time. One of my sons was being influenced by one of his relatives who was, seemed like a habitual liar. You know people that lie when it's better to tell the truth? They, they just can't, like, stop. They just tell lies. And so he began to be influenced by that, and we were like, mm, this isn't okay. So we sat down in the study of our house and had a little Bible study about truth-telling and lying. And we came to this verse at the end of the study, Revelation 21, 8. For the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable and murderers and immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so I said to my little son, I said, you've started on this road. You see where that road ends? Is that where you want to go? He was like, 
No. My wife can testify to this day. It's not because I'm awesome. It's because the Holy Spirit took the medicine and applied it to his heart. He's one of the most brutally honest people that I know in this world. Like, he will tell off on himself, whether it's, it doesn't matter. He will tell you the truth. He's at his job right now, and his bosses want him to, you know, well, you know, do you just fill out this on the report, whether it's whatever, you know, fill out there's so many hours or whatever. He's like, I can't do that. They're like, what are you talking about, dude? Do that. If the job, you were there from 9 to 10.30, put on there, you were there 9 to 12, and then you took lunch. He goes, I, I can't do that. That's a real thing. He's like, Dad, I don't really know how exactly I'm going to navigate this. I just told him I'm, I'm not going to lie for them. Even if it's convenient or it makes the book work easy, I'm not going to do it. Because he, he got medicine that cured his soul. It was starting to get bent. And the Lord said, It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then one last vitamin. Ephesians 4.25. There's, there's so many, right? How many could you get on truth-telling and on the God of truth? 30 easy? 30 easy. You wouldn't have to work hard to get 30. Here's the thing. It, it makes me crazy sometimes and it frustrates me. Like, why don't we do this? We've got these issues that are recurring. And, and I, I talk to people. I do a lot of counseling. With, with folks, and my heart is for them to be helped. And I'm like, show me the swords that you're using. What, what swords are you using in this fight? Oh, what do you mean? This is what I mean. Tell me what swords you're using. What verses are you using to fight this crookedness in you and to let the Holy Spirit have something to work with to take your pretzel and go like that? Like, huh? The Word! This is what he said will sanctify you. This is the chariot that the Holy Spirit rides. The Word of God, right? Take the Scriptures. Put them on your phone. Put them on the iPad. Pray those over. Meditate on those things. Think about them. Ponder them. Talk to the Lord about them. You know, in the days when I was working business and doing ministry, I was exhausted all the time, and so I had to pray. When I prayed, I had to walk or I'd fall asleep. That's a real thing. And, and a lot of times when I'm doing this with cards, I just lay on the ground. I'd be so tired. And I just hold it up to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I need you to do. I'm so tired. But this is crooked in me, and that's not okay. Would you work this in me? And a lot of times I'd pray and I'd read it. And I'd read it again and I'd pray and I'd read it and I'd read it again and I'd make declarations. I'd make affirmations and say, God, you are the God of truth and you are my Father and your DNA is inside of me. You said that the divine sperm abides inside of me. And so your truth is in me. And so I'm asking you to straighten out that crookedness in me and take this pride out of me that wants me to always look good in front of people. Like that's, that's evil and it makes me do things that are wrong and it makes me dishonor you and not represent you. Lord, get down to the deep places in my heart of why I do that. I don't know. I say to the Lord all the time, there's things down in me that are crooked and I can't reach them. If I could reach them, I would and I'd pull them out, but I can't reach them. He's like, I got something for you. Open. Open. Take this medicine. Put it in your mouth. Suck on it. Meditate on it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Right? This is God's formula to Joshua. You've taken over this gigantic role of Moses, of leading the people into the promised land when Moses himself failed and couldn't get in. But here you go. Take his position. Gulp. Moses failed? And you want me, little Joshua, to take his position? And the Lord said, yes, it's going to be okay. If you will take the book of my law, put it in your mouth, meditate on it. Meditation is musing over it, talking about it, praying it pondering it in your soul. Let it resonate inside of you like you would a good piece of Godiva chocolate. You put it in your mouth and you just suck on it a little bit at a time and go, oh, this is my former life, y'all. Um, 
Every now and then I'll do chocolate. I like it. That's what you do with the Word of God. And it gets down on the inside of you. Any of you boys when you were younger, did you have BB guns? How many of you ever put BBs in your mouth to hold them? You ever do that? Jeff, you did. All right. I guess, I guess we're old, bro. You put BBs in your mouth. Mama said, what's that in your mouth? Nothing. Get those BBs out of your mouth. Because she knows if you keep those BBs in your mouth, you're going to swallow some of those. They're small and they're slippery. The Lord said, Joshua, don't be intimidated. Put this in your mouth. Day and night, put it in your mouth. It'll give you wisdom. It'll give you character. It'll give you conviction. It'll give you insight. It will cause you to be successful wherever you go, and you will lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So many applications of Scripture. All right, I'm going to mention these last two quickly. It's 8 o'clock. Thank you all. Number nine, the word is essential for equipping. All scriptures God breathes. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Did, did you ever think about those three words right there? Teaching, reproof, correction, and then training in righteousness. What's reproof? What's reproof? Yeah, it's, it's rebuke. That's wrong. Scripture goes, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't lie. Correction. No. This way. Training. Come on. Come on. Come on. You can do five more reps. Come on. Come on. In righteousness. That the man of God, that the woman of God may be adequate, completely prepared, equipped for every good work. The Lord has called all of us to do good work. He's called all of us to do things in His kingdom. And the way that we get equipped and the way that we get ready and the way that we get corrected and the way that we get in the right vein to where what we do actually is going to produce fruit that's going to pass through the fire and be okay is from the Word of God. Sounds like military training. It's like that. Only the Word of God can make us ready for what lies ahead. We need all of it. We need all of it. There's so many areas. Think about an area we get equipped in prayer through the Word of God too, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you will. Is that true? Is that true? And it will be done for you. And then number 10. The word is our singular offensive weapon. This is number on page 23. The foundational principle is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, is the one lethal offensive weapon in our spiritual warfare against Satan. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Come on, fight. Jesus said to him in the wilderness, go, Satan, for it's written. And then he quoted Three verses from Deuteronomy, from memory. I love that. And the devil left him. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And then 1 John 2, 14. I love this verse. I have written to you, young men, because you're strong. Why are you strong? And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the offensive weapon in our heart and in our mouth, it has power, and we can cut the devil. Devil's evil. You need to take the sword and plunge it in his gut. When you're in a spiritual warfare, you don't patty cake the devil. You don't play with the devil like he's a little puppy. Like, go, go away now. Go, go, go away now. Go away now. No, you go. Get out. Boom. 
you got to fight like you mean it. No, I'm serious. The Word of God in your heart and in your mouth is powerful. It's a sword. And the devil left him. So many things about the Word are so powerful and transformative and life-changing. It is essential for us as the people of God to breathe it in and to let it shape our lives. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.